Hello and welcome to another episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast presented by The Inner Sanctum. It's an Asia special on the pod today as we look back at the Matildas' comfortable victory over Iran and Melbourne City still undefeated all-time in the Champions League. The crazy scores continue in the AFC Cup for the Mariners, whilst the Bulls feel the pinch of fixture congestion. I'm your host, Lachlan Abel, and joining me today is Paletti. Hello. Good morning. I'm sure you're just as tired as I am. Yes, very tired. Getting used to these uh, late kickoffs. It's all part of the football experience. It is. It is very much. It was kind of funny listening to people on the East Coast having a little bit of a whine about the uh, the late kickoff over in Perth. Uh, I I don't know whether this was um I don't know whether this was serious or not or it was just a tweet that was taking the Mickey but I saw someone complaining about like you know how ridiculous it was at last year during the World Cup the Socceroos were scheduled to play at two a.m. on a Thursday and it's like yes that's how time zones work that's how different parts of the world work like so I hope that was just a taking the Mickey and not someone actually being serious like do do Perth not deserve to have the Matildas in prime time. They absolutely do. And that's just the dilemma of being a sports fan in Australia, isn't it? I mean, it, it, like, look at it like, what, do you want the Matildas to kick off at 4.30 on a, like, what was yesterday, on a Thursday afternoon for a primetime East Coast audience and the stadium would be half empty? It, it'd be too warm. <laughs> we've, we've gone through this. It'd be too warm. It wouldn't be good football, right? Exactly. Anyway, okay, just the two of us today, a little bit of a shorter show as well. That'll be the format for these Fridays when we have these mid-game Asia weeks, but we get to cover the football, so that's a good thing. We'll start with the Matildas and uh, Paletti. I would love to see the look on your face when you saw the starting 11 for this fixture. Oh, I was so happy. Like, I, I, lo- <laughs> I looked at this lineup and it's like, this is what, you know, from a rotational aspect, I'm not saying starting lineup for during the World Cup, but like we should have seen a lot more of this rotation throughout the World Cup. Like we should have seen more of Chidiak. We should have seen, you know, some of Claire Wheeler. Like um, Courtney Nevin was there. Um, you know, Amy Sayer comes into the squad and, you know, shows why she belongs at this level. And, you know, we've seen her before. She's got to be the smartest person in Australian football, honestly. Like, if you just look at her career progression, like, she's graduated early from Stanford University. Oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. And then moved overseas. And I'm pretty sure she's doing a double degree as well while she was there, while playing at the highest level of collegiate football in the United States. Like, she's got to be the smartest person in Australian football. And I think you saw every single little bit of that on the football field last night in Perth. Like, just just the the way she played... I might have liked to see her take a couple more shots, especially early on, be a little bit less selfish and actually take those shots. Um, but maybe she was under instructions from Gustafson. We'll never know, obviously. Um, but, you know, post-game, Gustafson seemed very impressed with her game as well as, you know, the likes of a clear wheeler. So it may have come four months too late, but we finally got that squad rotation we wanted. <laughs> uh, I mean, I know Gustafson was kind of forced during the World Cup because of the um because of the loss to Nigeria, he was kind of forced to basically be you know all guns blazing throughout the entire tournament. But yeah, it's it's a little bit tough to expect rotation in such an important tournament. But absolutely, when it comes to these Olympic qualifiers, it's good to shuffle around a bit. Another player that Gustafsson said he was very impressed with was Ellie Carpenter. Got the goal early, played a slightly more inverted role, and especially like there's some news that came out in the last few days about some abuse that she'd been receiving online since 
the loss to England in the semifinals, the World Cup, her mistake obviously gifting uh, the Lionesses that first goal. It's good to see her come back. And she's been in the national team for like eight years now and she's only 23, 24 years old. It's just crazy. She's going to be here for a while. I mean, I've, I've said that I think, you know, she'll play for the Matildas for a total of two decades. Like, yeah. it, as long as her form doesn't fall off a cliff once she turns 30 or she, you know, chooses to retire, which is a very distinct possibility. I mean, turns 30, maybe just like, yeah, I've been playing at the highest level for 15 years. I'm good. Like, you know, she'll play for the Matildas, you know, for, for basically, you know, until her form falls off a cliff. Like, that's her spot and everyone knows it's her spot because of how good she is in that position and just the, the, the flexibility that, you know, she allows a lineup. Like, she basically runs up and down the sideline for 90 minutes and that's what we love, right? Who else stood out for you in this game? I'm going to go Claire Wheeler. I think it's the, the way she played in the midfield, it was it was incredibly good. She, she, did, she did the role that we know she can play. It was... It almost reminded me of watching her back playing for Sydney FC before she got the move to um, before she got the move to Europe, and I, I very much, I very much think that as long as she can stay healthy and uh, Gustafsson is prepared to, you know, play her a little bit more, like she'll hold down a spot in the midfield for quite some time. Tony Gustafsson made a really interesting comment after the game, and he compared. Obviously, the opposition that we're playing in Iran is a lot different to the teams that we played in the World Cup in terms of quality, but he compared it to the Ireland game, the opening fixture of the World Cup. And when Ireland sat back in that 4-5-1 low block, don't let Australia get you on the counter, we kind of just resorted to throwing long balls in, hoofing it up, not really being brave enough to go through. And it was a little bit frustrating last night because there wasn't a whole lot of payoff but we did try to play through them. We weren't just resorting to that long ball. And the second goal, when Fowler, Catley, Sam Kerr, probably one of the best triple substitutions in all-time football, just by the way, they, their little combination play completely broke the line. And that is the kind of football that will take the Matildas to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's only so many ways you can try and break down a low block, right? It's... You know, the Australian football mentality of hoof it long to the tall lad and hope for the best, um, which, you know, you, you go to any sort of park and that's a lot of what you will see. Is that's just, football heritage, though. Yeah, exactly. You stick the tall lad up front, you know, in this case, well, as we saw in the Nigeria game, Alana Kennedy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice to see them, you know, actually try to push the ball through the middle. But, you know, when you've got nine people sitting behind the ball, and at some point, you know, 10 players sitting behind the ball, it's it doesn't leave a lot of space to try to, you know, break things down. So you kind of resorted to that aerial option. So it was nice to see the Matildas last night actually try to play along the pitch, use technical proficiencies that they have and actually try to play through the middle of the park or out on the wings and, you know, along the ground and actually get through. And I think, yeah, as you said, that's kind of how we saw the second goal come about. And as much as we do like to have a go at Gustafsson for, you know, having a core group of players that he trusts and, and puts out in the park in most games, the second goal is it's a really good example of why he does that. Like Fowler, Catley, Kerr, those three, they are a class above. They come on and they make an instant impact in this game and they get the sealer at two. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that criticism just came from the fact that during the World Cup, you could see the players were tired. And, you know, there were 
there were opportunities for rotation. Like I think, you know, the quarters in the England game, like that's when you start getting to the, the you know, you go to a penalty shootout, 120 minutes, longest penalty shootout in history. Like you, the rotation there was forced and every player was wrecked at the end of it. And we kind of saw that in the England game a few days later, particularly when he pulled out the same, you know, starting 11. This time the rest was forced probably just because of European uh, commitments. And I think, you know, obviously Tony Gustafson's in touch with all the clubs and would have been like, hey, you know, can you keep Sam Kerr to, you know, 90 minutes throughout these three games? Can you keep it at 80 minutes or, you know, like whatever it is, have these conversations, especially since it's, you know, like the, the Philippines are going to be the toughest of the three games we play. And that's... And three games in seven days as well. That's not feasible for- no, of course not. It's not feasible for everyone to play every minute. That'd be that'd be insane. This is professional football, as we're talking about on on the Matilda side, at least. I know a lot of everyone else is still semi-professional, and that's a long problem with uh, with women's football that we don't need to get into today because there's not enough time. Um, and there's people far smarter than me to discuss that. As as much as this was a big day for the Matildas, you know, the homecoming game, if you call it that, if we had the World Cup in our own country, but anyway. This is the first game since the World Cup, but also from an Iran perspective, this is the biggest crowd they've ever played in front of. It's a women's team that is still in its infancy. They've had a whole lot of hurdles to overcome just to get to this point. And, you know, a 2-0 loss to Australia in a qualification system where being the best second-place team matters... They should be commended for that. Absolutely. They they had a game plan. They stuck to it. People can, and I saw a lot of this last night on social media, um, and I know social media is not the be-all, end-all, but I, I saw a lot of <laughs> criticism about, you know, the, we'll call them tactics that, yeah. that Iran chose to employ, and the referee's not going to punish you for it. Push it as far as you can. It's it's a valid system. It, it works. It it created stop-start football and, you know, looked like it prevented the Matildas from fully getting into their into their game plan. And as I said, if the referee's not going to punish it, you know, all it takes is one yellow card and maybe that goes away. But, you know, like cramp's also a legitimate thing. You've got to remember, these are semi-professional footballers. Maybe it was exaggerated a little bit, but... It's probably not an unfair statement to say that their, you know, fitness and conditioning is is not up to par with certainly the Matildas, but also other levels of professional football. So some of that may have been, you know, just knocks hitting that little bit harder. But yeah, definitely some gameplay there as well. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, you know, the, the quirk with this qualification system. The best second place team goes through. They didn't need to win against the Matildas last night. Get away with as minimal damage as possible, especially in terms of goal difference. Could they beat the Philippines? Yes. Could they beat Chinese Taipei? Yes. And then you have to have a look at the other groups. Right? One of them's got China, North Korea, South Korea, and I think it's Japan off the top of my head. Thailand. It's Thailand. Right. They're all going to take points off each other. Right? True. There's no way that you know someone's winning three from three there. There's probably going to be some draws in there. You know, there's no you know whoever misses out from that group. Um, is going to feel very harshly done by. It's entirely feasible that if you know Iran can jag a win against the Philippines and then jag a win against Chinese Taipei, that they will, you know, be in a very good position to go through as the best second place team. And then you know they're 180 minutes away from the Olympics. Now they'll have to come up against some very stiff opposition to do that. But they will. They'll be 180 minutes away from the Olympics, and that would be something. Let's move on to the Champions League now and Melbourne City. 
were away to Birmingham. They won two nil against uh, Arthur Pappas in the uh, manager's box, which Newcastle Jets fans and Australian football fans will be familiar with. He's, uh, I believe, he's actually the technical director of the club, but he's also filling this coaching vacancy while they have it. And this is a good performance from Melbourne City. Two pieces of quality uh, from Marlon Jakalic, uh, the Croatian for Melbourne City, two assists. Jamie McLaren with a very nice technical finish for the first goal. They're setting themselves up really nicely here to go top of the group. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I know a lot of people like to hate on Melbourne City, like it's the cool thing to do. But they're doing well. They're top of the group. They're in a fantastic position to top that group, as you said. Depending on the draw, could, with the talent they've got, could be a chance to advance beyond the round of 16, which will be the first time an Australian team has done that in quite some time. So we need we need the coefficient points. Yeah, we were talking about this before air, right? Like the amount of money being poured into these competitions is huge over the next couple of years. That's been a big focus of the AFC, you know, to, to get more money into this game, especially with what we're seeing in Saudi Arabia at the moment. So having Australian teams in this competition is big. And due to the fact that we had to forfeit our position in 2021 during uh, due to COVID and the final series overlapping, we took a very big hit. And that's why we are playing in the AFC Cup this year is because our coefficient has fallen so much. So as much as you know, Melbourne Victory fans particularly might not like it, a deep Melbourne City run in this tournament is very important for Australian football. We need to get back up there. We need to overtake the likes of Malaysia and, and China and get back to these high positions. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you mentioned the financial aspect of it as well. I was um uh, I was talking with uh, Sean Matheson on Twitter last week, who does a lot of football manager stuff, and he basically uh, I, I you know facetiously threw out a challenge of okay in FM twenty four win or, win the Asian Champions League with all the A League teams, and he said it's basically impossible now because of all the money coming from the Middle East, in particular Saudi Arabia, so. You know, and we, we know that Australia struggles with the salary capped system. If Melbourne City can get some money, maybe it helps the APLC about loosening those salary cap rules a little bit to help the teams that want to challenge in Asia challenge in Asia, just because if they can, you know, the money coming into Australian football can only be a good thing, right? This is the best chance Melbourne City will ever have to win the Champions League. I'll tell you why. Currently, they split the East and the West in the Champions League all the way to the final. So until the semifinals of the Champions League, we are just playing the East team. So we don't have the Saudi Arabians with the Ronaldos and not Neymar because he's injured, but all those players that have gone over and received all this money. But next year, when we move to this Champions League elite thing, once we uh, get past the round of 16 and we get to the final eight, all of these teams will travel to one location. They'll play a centralized tournament for the final stage of the competition. So in future years, we could be running into Al Nasir and Ronaldo in the quarterfinals. But this year, it's just the final. So if Melbourne City ever want to have a deep run and they haven't lost yet in the Champions League, they actually drew a lot of games and didn't qualify last time out. But if they ever want to have a chance at this trophy, this is the best year. This is their best chance to get it. Yeah, and um, this is the uh, this is the second time that we've uh, we've also seen uh, Rado Vidasic um, not be on the sideline because he's been sick, and his team's two from two when that happens. 
maybe Ryder needs to be sick a little bit more often. <laughs> he did it. He did it the A League Women's last year before he took over. Um, before he took over the men's job, he didn't make the trip to Wellington because he got sick just before the game uh, in round one last year. And then, yeah, this has happened again. So maybe there's something to it. We I mentioned the two assists from Marin Jakovic. Oh my god, that dive from him in the last couple of minutes of the game. I don't know how he does not receive a second yellow card for that. That was horrible. Oh, absolutely. The the AR was right in front of him. Right like, in front the of him. Official. Like there, there was a referee right in front of him. Like that would have been an eight at the Olympics. Like I mean, that was that was so horrific. How he has escaped a second yellow card. Because he was on a yellow card as well. That's the problem. He was on a yellow card. He should be suspended for the return leg. Like, Rado Vidicic should just suspend him from the next game on principle alone. Like, that that was horrific. And I, uh, I don't know how he slept that night, honestly. Like, Yeah, VAR was there. But, of course, yellow cards can't get involved. So, there was someone in the technical room as well at that game thinking, oh, my God, he's gotten away with that. Anyway, we'll move over to Gosford now and the Central Coast 6, Bali United. <laughs> this was a very interesting way to kick off football for the night. Nine goals, the, uh, the, the, they keep coming in the AFC Cup. Tell you what, I, I, could, have used, I could have used this game as the, as the later kickoff. <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it started not well for the Mariners with an own goal. He just feels so bad for him because, you know, if you haven't seen it, he goes down to a collector ball that is rolling down the baseline and it's come off the inside of his heel that he's planted on the ground and deflected into the net. It's a kind of mistake that happens purely from getting a chance and being nervous about playing a big game for your club. And you saw the defenders go and wrap their arms around him. It's just, it's, it's, it's horrible for him. So there's an old adage in ice hockey put the puck on the net, right? Because you never know what's going to happen. A weird bounce, that sort of... This is basically, you know, the football equivalent of that. Just put it on net. And, it wasn't even on net. Like, yeah, I suppose it's the craziest thing. It wasn't thing, even like, on just, net. But, like, you know, it's it, it's so unfortunate for him. He, he gets a start and, you know, his squad rotation because they have another game in, you know, less than two days against MacArthur on Sunday afternoon. And that's, that's a whole other problem entirely. Like they, they have the advantage of not having had to travel um, and they get to play MacArthur at home. Whereas as we'll talk about later, uh, 62 hours after full time, uh, MacArthur have to play the Mariners away from home. So they responded well though. They got six goals, Bailey got another two. It was comfortable in the end. They never looked like losing it once they got ahead. Did you have a particular favorite goal? Uh no, I didn't. Um, honestly, that game was was a little bit of a blur. I'm not gonna lie; everything kind of blended together, you know, to, towards the end of it. Especially when you're, you know, you, you haven't seen the first couple of goals because you, you know you're out. So I was listening to it on the radio. I get back and I watch the highlights package, and it all just kind of blurred together in the end. Well, I will say Jacob Farrell's first goal, the, the one that opened it up, was a great finish. He has, he doesn't score too many from left back in the A League, but it was he got two last night. He was absolute quality. Of course, he played the first ninety minutes because he will not be required on the weekend after his suspension. Uh, two two yellow cards in a couple of minutes will do that to you. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, <laughs> Jacob Farrell took his frustrations out on Bali United, <laughs> and then they got two penalties: one to even it up and one to go ahead. 
first one, okay, fair enough. Second one, it was seemed a little bit soft. On a, I think it was Jacob Farrell that went down as well. Maybe he's claiming an assist for that one. Uh, but there was a fourth goal, and that was a really nice bit of interplay, similar to the Matildas goal, actually, that we saw. That was quite nice. Christian Theo Harris uh, putting that one away. And, yeah, look, comfortable from the Mariners. They're setting themselves up well now. They're top of the group only by a point, but is it two? Oh, no, only one home game to go. So interesting position from them. They should get through. We expect them to get through. Yeah, not, not much more to be said. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure they have... I'm pretty sure that home game is the one against... I think it's Tarangararo is how you pronounce it. And that was the one that they lost 1-0 uh, on match day one away. So, and they looked like they probably should have dominated that game. So, you know, home field advantage, that's the side that sits second on the on the table as well. So, if they're, if they're able to run away with it, then, you know, opening up a, a four-point gap potentially, you know, is, is going to be huge for them, um, you know, and should, should seal qualification. Okay, final game now. Phnom Penh Crown 3, MacArthur FC 0. And Paletti, they held in for about 60 minutes of the game. They looked all right. Um, but you talked about the fixtures earlier. I think you figured it out that it's 62 hours after full time last night, they will kick off against the Central Coast Mariners. There's a lot of travel. They were forced to rotate. And in the end, they just felt the pinch. Yeah, I mean, it seemed very clear that Melee went in with a game plan and that was very much the way they played against Brisbane Royal, which was going to be hit them in transition, set up on the counter, and it it worked a little bit. A little bit more accuracy uh, in front of goals and they probably jag all three points from this fixture, um, or at the very least a draw. Um I mean, they they were good. They were good money to you know to to get a draw in this fixture until until they weren't, and that was about seventy minutes in. And I I don't say that facetiously. That was you know they looked good to at least nab a point. They, they were they were playing quite well. Daniel Nizic had to come up a huge couple of times. Um, you know, if you can call it his mistake, if you can call it his mistake that led to the first goal, and then from there it was. Like there was nothing he could do for the second goal, and the third goal. Sometimes that goes in, sometimes it doesn't. Right, like you know, if a keeper pulls off that third save, like or a save on that third goal, you consider it one of the best bits of goalkeeping of the night. You know, that's that's how hard it is to save a goal like that. So, sixty-two hours, they go again. We talked about the importance of Australian teams doing well in these Asian competitions. Should the APL have done more fixturing wise to help them out? Like, I know it's difficult. They, they are playing on the Sunday, but Thursday, late Thursday night to a Sunday game is still a bit of a stretch. Yeah, I mean, I think it should have been moved. MacArthur did request for the fixture to be moved. Um, unless that changes in the next 24 hours, which if it hasn't changed yet, it's probably not going to change yeah. now. You'd think it would be set now. Um, especially since that is a TV game. So, and that's... The cynic in me wants to say that's part of why it hasn't been moved. Um, but the AFC Cup fixturing has been known well before the A-League schedule came out. This could have been something completely different. I know the uh, I know the APL wants to move away from midweek games, but is there anything stopping this from being played on Monday night? I, I know the crowd will take a hit in Gosford, but 
it's not a key fixture. It's Central Coast MacArthur. We have seen the APL, as you say, they want to move away from midweeks, but that's not a hard rule. The games that um, the Unite round is replacing, they will be played in midweeks. We see um, Sydney FC women's teams, the games that they're going to miss out on from playing in the AFC Women's Championship, they'll be played in midweeks. And I don't know when it was moved to, but there's definitely some Melbourne City fixtures that have been shuffled around a little bit as well to accommodate for the Champions League. So there is a pattern there and we want Australian teams to do well in these competitions and that was never going to happen with such a quick turnaround. Yeah, and I mean, the, the only saving grace here is that the Mariners didn't have to travel, um, so they should definitely be in the box seat for, for Sunday afternoon. But, but you also just have to look at the fixture congestion, right? The, the Mariners, in a couple of weeks' time, go to Perth, then they have to go to Thailand. Uh, Indonesia, that's right, yes. But yeah, like so they've got a they've got a harsh travel schedule coming up as well. Now it's nowhere near as harsh as Sydney to Cambodia and then back. That's tough. Like MacArthur won't get back until probably Saturday morning at the earliest, maybe Saturday afternoon if there's delays. Any sort of recovery session goes out the window because you don't really have time to have a recovery session unless you go Saturday afternoon recovery, sleep Saturday night. And then it's basically get up Sunday morning, go to Gosford and play at three o'clock in the afternoon. Like if MacArthur get a point from that game, I'll be surprised. All right. That's all for today's episode of the A-Leagues of Our Own podcast. A short but sweet one today. And that will be the plan moving forward for these Friday mini episodes. Bloody, thank you for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Tuesday for a review of round two of the A-League men's. Goodbye.